When you're looking at failure rates now between five and 10 minutes, and I would not be surprised to see things happening in the less than five minute time frame for certain components of a house or a building. Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service just like you from coast to coast. Well, we all know we're facing fewer structure fires these days, but the ones that do ignite are more dangerous than ever. More lumber is being used to build things, and worse yet, it's not the old-style 2x4 or 4x4. Those were not a major hazard. Nowadays, with the lack of old-growth forests to generate those solid sticks, the lumber industry is turning to manufactured lumber. It's also called lightweight lumber. This stuff burns quick. Here to talk about the danger of today's wood construction is Mark Vanderfeist. He's been a firefighter since 1999, working in Ontario, Canada. He's an international instructor teaching in Canada, the U.S., and even India. And he's the president of Firestar Services. He's also the lead author of the book Residential Fire Rescue. And Mark Vanderfeist is back with us again. Welcome back to Code 3, Mark. Thanks, Scott. Good to be here with you guys again. Let's get right to it. When did the construction industry move to this lightweight lumber? Well, I I can say that from the last 10 years, we've seen this trend develop and grow to where it is today. So as you mentioned in in your introduction, there's been, I guess, an absence of natural resources that can be used for natural playing wood like your 2x4 and your 4x4. And manufacturers of lumber have got to look at what can we do to sustain our, our output as far as products to be purchased by the end user, at the same time not deplete the, uh, the inventory coming in. And so as you know, we see now a man-made or synthetic made lumber that we are seeing in the marketplace. I would say the last 10 years we've seen this development and this push with technology to use what's uh, available, both uh, garbage and good, in terms of wood, trees, uh, the resources available, and from that comes out a product, a product that we can use to build homes and not just houses but also buildings, uh, apartment buildings, office buildings, and so on. That'd be, uh, I think, the last 10 years you see that. These constructed beams are sometimes called glue lamb because they're held together with glue, right? Correct, yeah. So I can tell you one time I was uh, back in my engineering days working down the city of Pittsburgh for uh, Simplex for now. I had to go to Weyerhaeuser down in West Virginia to uh, do a, a plant inspection to design their uh, system for a deluge system for one of the big ovens. And I had a chance to witness and watch how they make OSB sheets, half-inch OSB, four-foot by eight-foot sheet. And it all starts off with wood chips. 
And as these wood chips are brought along a conveyor belt, they're put upon a uh, big baking sheet, a massive big baking sheet. And it's amazing to see how high those wood chips were piled. They were about probably uh, six to eight inches in height. And then with an adhesive applied to it, in this case a glue of some type, uh, that adhesive was applied to it and then, of course, put into an oven and then pressed between two solar plates to form your half-inch thick sheet. But all the while, the adhesive is being used to glue and to make sure those wood chips are not going to flake apart, but they stay together as one, solid, as one solid object. So the glue is the main ingredient besides the wood that you do find within those lightweight uh, materials. Does the glue melt, burn, or just come apart when it's heated? Well, the, the glue itself is a liquid uh, for the most part. So depending upon what the manufacturer is using for the type of adhesive will dictate what the melting point will be. But for the most part, it's just melting away uh, as liquid would. As a liquid becomes a solid, it goes back into being a liquid. So in this case, with our lightweight glues that are being used for your man-made lumber, you're having a, uh, a melting, in essence, of the glue that's holding together that object, and thus your failure rate, uh, or your failure point, rather, occurs at that point in time. How much faster does a structure built out of this stuff burn? Well, those numbers can vary from what I've seen in different research findings, but you're looking at failure rates now between 5 and 10 minutes. And I would not be surprised to see things happening in the less than 5-minute time frame for certain components of a house or a building. So the, the window of opportunity has really shrunken down quite a bit between that 5 and 10-minute mark where we're seeing the, the collapse potential or the actual collapse occurring because of the uh, dissolving of these liquids, these, these glues, and failure of these components being held together. I'll be back with more right after this. On any given day, you are tasked to be your best and power through the worst of times, all at a moment's notice. We know the sacrifices you make each and every day. Your success relies on superior equipment and the best training available. That's why Federal Resources is here to support you, the everyday hero. We are here so you can excel. Discover your success at federalresources.com. Now, I'm not a construction expert, so maybe you can tell me, are they using this particle board or OSB board on roofs? Yes, they are. Which means if you put a firefighter up there, he's more likely to go through it if it's going to fall apart under heat. Correct. That's why a lot of departments are looking at their operational stance in terms of, do we go to the roof anymore or not? From the departments are saying no more, forget it. Doesn't matter what kind of house you're you're, look, um, you're dealing with. They're saying no, we're not going to go to the roof to do a vertical vent. Other departments are saying yes, we will, based on the conditions that are being presented to us. So it, it makes that it makes our job a whole lot difficult. Is it possible to tell if a house or an office building was built with this kind of lumber, or is it just guesswork? Well, that answer would be yes and no. So on the no side first, it's hard to look at a building built and say, yes, that's built with lightweight construction uh, from the outside. Um, 
unless you've witnessed it being built. So, for example, where I work, the city I work at, over the years we've witnessed uh, motels being built, apartment buildings being completed and built as well, uh, seniors' residences being built, and we've watched them go up from the ground. So we've witnessed how they're building it and what they're using. So we know that from what we've seen over the years that that motel, that apartment building, and that English complex is built completely out of lightweight wood materials. So that's the one way you can tell. But unless you witness it, you can't tell. The other way where you can, the yes answer to it is as if the is if the building itself identifies to you that we are comprised of lightweight truss or lightweight construction materials. So what I mean by that is bylaws can be created to say a building owner must identify with a sticker or some kind of uh, emblem or something to identify to the outside responding units, fire departments coming in, that this building contains lightweight construction products. And so those vary from place to place in terms of how it may look. But a simple one I saw just recently, a few weeks ago, was a uh, big round, maybe six-inch in diameter adhesive sticker with a letter R in the middle, big letter R, which signified to the, to the, to the, to the uh, department members responding that that building contains lightweight construction material. So that's how they can identify that before they uh, go inside the building itself. There's also the growing trend of using OSB on staircases instead of planks of lumber. How much of a safety hazard is that for a firefighter maybe who's conducting a search? Well, the uh, the hazard goes up quite exponentially because that's our main that's our main uh, appliance to be used to go from say the first floor to the second floor, or even going from the main floor to the basement. So if those stairs that are uh, used to to access those different levels are made out of a lightweight material like OSB uh, I beams and glues and so on, when those things fail and they're going to fail quickly, it's going to cut off your access or your egress. And if you're already in and up or in and down, you got to now find a different way out, which may be through a window on the second floor to a ladder, or if it's in a basement, it could be a basement window, it could be a walkout, or it could be no windows. I was actually in a basement fire just this past week at work, and that basement had no windows at all. So if that house, if that house had had lightweight truss stairs, and the stairs had failed and collapsed with the crews inside, they're now completely trapped and no way getting up and out because of that material being used. So is there anything we can do to be prepared for this or to be safer, or what are our options? Well, I guess some action steps that we can take as a service on the one end is more on the prevention side is to departments need to be more proactive with identifying these buildings. So in the prevention department, maybe enacting some kind of ordinance or bylaw to say, yes, we want to have building owners label their buildings to identify to us with some some, some kind of symbol that these uh, or this building contains lightweight materials. That's one thing. The second thing for, uh, I would say, a proactive approach is for us in the suppression side to actually get out there and pre-plan and go into all the buildings we can get ourselves into within our response area, commercial buildings, industrial, anything public, get into them and pre-plan it and build a database for ourselves that this building is lightweight material. 
and what the associated risk might be with that particular building. So that's that'd be a good step for us to take in a, in a proactive measure. On the other end, when when the fire does occur, we need to be prepared to act quickly once we get on scene and be able to apply our water in a effective and efficient manner to cool things off and to contain and stop that fire right away. If you let things to uh, let things keep on burning and not get water on the fire right away, well then of course our exposure, the exposure of lightweight materials to the high heat continues and that clock just keeps on running in that regard. So those are some good steps that we can take action-wise to try and prevent and to try and be one step ahead. The other aspect might be to look at our tactics and our operational approaches to things and maybe take a, re, uh, a step back and regroup and say, how can we now approach these newer buildings of lightweight materials in a, in a better way than what we have done in the past already as far as the previous times? Because obviously it's not working for us. And so if we can regroup, kind of go back to the drawing board and look, what can we do tactic-wise to protect ourselves and be, you know, a leg up on the actual fire, that might be a, a thing for us to do as well. All right. Good advice, Mark van der Feist. Thanks for being on Code 3. You're very welcome. Thanks, Scott. And we put some more information on lightweight wood construction, Mark's company, and his book at Code3Podcast.com slash lumber. Check it out. Here comes your trivia question. Again, that makes it sound pretty dramatic, huh? What load passes through a point other than the center of a structural member? I'll have the answer right after this. Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan. Take a look at those shirts. They're in full color now. All right, here's the trivia answer. An axial load passes through a point other than the center of a structural member. So there. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orr, and until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.